Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Friday, February 18th, 2022. It's a quickie. Now, normally that would be fine, depending on what your schedule is. I mean, if you've got stuff to do, you got dinner, you got to go to a show, a movie, you got a game to watch. Quickie. Hey, I got time, but it's got to be super, super fast. But when it comes to a negotiating session between management and players, between owners and Major League Baseball players, when there's a quickie involved, everyone loses their minds. They get upset. They go to Twitter. They start complaining. They call into radio shows. What are they, busy? They have other things to do. Why aren't they spending more time at the negotiating table? Well, yesterday there was a big-time negotiating session between the players and the owners, and it was a quickie. 15, by the way, wrong word of the day, Coca. It was 15 minutes. That's not a quickie. Ready? 4 six, 69. Marathon. Nothing personal word of the day for February 18th, 2022. The meeting between the players and the owners yesterday lasted 15 minutes. Where I come from, that's called a marathon. <laughs> Which one do you want to go with, Coca? We could go with the first one or the second one. We could have two words of the day. Quickie, or we could just go marathon. It's all frame of reference, isn't it? It's all perspective. Do you know what happens when there's a negotiating session? You set the time, say 1 p.m., and you switch off. One time it's at the commissioner's office. One time it's at union headquarters when you're not on the road, like in Florida or Arizona or somewhere else where the World Series is. Sometimes they meet during the World Series if they're doing in-agreement things. Although last World Series, they also met, and it was while they were negotiating an agreement. I guess they were still in the agreement, of course. So you switch off. Yesterday's meeting was at Union Headquarters. Union Headquarters. So you walk into the lobby. There's media because the media knows. They take pictures as Dan Hellam walks in. And you have to go to the front desk and you get an ID. You show your ID. Who are you here to see? I'm here to see Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer. Oh, good to see you again. How long are you going to be there? Search me. What do I know? It could be a quickie, but we'll go to the sixth floor right now. No, no, it's the ninth floor. No problem. All right, we'll meet on nine. Go upstairs. They sit down. The way these sessions start, hey, good to see you. How you doing? They take stuff out of their briefcase. They've got the 130-page proposal they had given to the players last Saturday. They put it down. There's pens. Hey, would you like a cup of coffee? Would you like some water? Wow, that's the type of sandwich you have for us? Did you eat lunch? No, I didn't eat lunch. This is where we ordered from today? I thought we were agreed we were getting pig heaven. Nah, nah, we're going to get Panera. We're the union. We're in a lockout. 
We're on a budget. It's au bon pain. All right, should we eat first? No, no. It's already 102. Let's get to it. All right, what do we got? Well, we'd like to present you with this proposal. Well, thank you. Do we let's let's have it. Well, here it is. Now, you will find that there are significant differences between what you offered us on Saturday and now what we are offering you. It took us many days. I mean, we had to get everyone together. We put our heads together. We got Boras on speaker and we said what should we counter with in order to get this deal done? And we came up with this that we really believe is going to be the breakthrough moment that the commissioner, who wasn't at the meeting, Rob Manford said last Thursday, when he said all it takes is a breakthrough, we've got it. Ready? You know the bonus pool, the pre-arbitration bonus pool? That's the amount of money that we want to give to top players who are not yet eligible for arbitration. Now, we haven't decided how much money is going to be in that pool. We haven't decided the number of players who are going to be eligible to get that pool. We have a slight disagreement, but our last offer was 100. Your last offer was 15. It took four days, but we've got it. We're going to add those two numbers together. Oh, and then divide by two? That's splitting it. What an interesting idea. No, no, you're interrupting me. Sorry. Take another bite of your roast beef sandwich. We're going to add the numbers together. You're at 15. We're at 100. And we think the number in the pool should be 115. Huh? I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I have an olive in my ear. You were at 100. We were at 15. And now you're coming back with 115? I know that sounds a little crazy, but just think about it. It makes perfect sense because we have a part two to our proposal. Oh, all right. What's part two? We're listening. Hey, pass the fries. Where are the jalapeno chips? Are those the dirty ones? No. All right, part two. All right, listen, it's on page six of the proposal, but I want you to focus on it because this is really good. Do you know the argument we're having about which players are eligible for arbitration? And you know, of course, that right now you have to have three years of service in order to get arbitration. The first three years are on the house. The second three years, an arbitrator decides. And then after six years, there's free agency. We already gave to you that free agency won't be after five years, which is what we wanted. We gave up on that. That was a huge give. That's not a give, Bruce. What are you talking about? We were never moving free agency from six years to five years. What time is it? 104. All right, what else? Well, no, 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 let's get back to arbitration. The Super 2 arbitration class is where the real argument is. Super 2 are players like Juan Soto who are going to be eligible for arbitration four times, not just three. And right now, only 22% of the players are eligible for arbitration. And we've told you, Dan Hallam, that we want 100% of the players eligible. Well, wait a minute. That would be adding a full year of arbitration. That would be four years of arbitration. Well, yeah, that means that players would be brought up earlier because there's no service time manipulation because no matter what, they're going to be eligible for four straight years. Well, we already told you that that's not going to happen. No, I hear you. What time is it? 107. But I told you that we want it after two years. But we've got an unbelievable give. Instead of 22% of the players being eligible, which is where we are now, 
and 100% of the players being eligible, which is what we want. Wait for it. You're going to love this. What time is it? 108. We want 80% of the players to be eligible. Hold on. Don't say anything. Let it marinate. Take a bite. Have a schmear. And understand what we just did. While we raised the pool from 100 to 115 million, which may have sounded awkward, strange, and like a step backwards. In fact, by going from 100% of players eligible after two years to only 80%, you owners have saved way more than $15 million. You've saved $69 million. We're only asking for 15 of it back. We just gave you $54 million. Sorry, can we just do a quick caucus here? Dan Hallam goes to the people he's got with him, maybe Dick Monfort, and says, hey, Dick, what do you think of this whole proposal on page six? Well, I think we got to focus more on page nine. No, no, don't focus on the 100 to 115. Focus on the fact that they went from 100 to 80%. I think we just made $54 million. Um, Dan, yeah, Dick, we were never going to give in on arbitration. It's only going to be 22% of second-year players. We're only negotiating the size of the pool that's going to those players not eligible for arbitration. No, I hear you, Dick. No, you don't, Dan. Yes, I do, Dan. No, Dick. Come on. Hold on. What time is it? One eleven. All right, we got to go back in. We've been out way too long. Bruce, thank you so much for offering to go to $115 million and cutting arbitration down from 100% to 80%. But I got to tell you, are you anywhere else on any of the other issues before we comment? What time is it? One twelve. Okay, listen. We don't really have any changes to our previous proposal, so we didn't want to mark up your counter offer of our counter to your offer because the places we're changing, we've pointed out to you on page six and nine. What time is it? One fourteen. Bruce, that is totally unreasonable. There is no way that we have a deal with that. Really? What time is it? 1.15. We got to go. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. That's how it went yesterday. Are you panicked? Are you nervous? Are you upset? I went on Chicago radio this morning, 6.70 the score. And I said the media, of which I am a member, may be partially to blame for why fans are so upset. Because we are having you join us on this roller coaster of negotiations. But... When you listen, subscribe, rate, and follow to Nothing Personal, and you help us climb the charts, nice! You know very well that these intermediate negotiating steps, it's all normal. We found out today there's a deadline of February 28th. Well, I thought the deadline was February 24th. Wait a minute, February 28th to get opening day, March 31st. That would be four weeks of spring training, which means you cut it. Wait, how many days are in February? Is this a leap year? I got a nugget for you. Leap years are presidential election years. So there's no presidential election. That means there's no leap year. 30 days, hat September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, except February, which has 28 and 29 every four years because the earth takes 365 and a quarter days to circle around the sun. So instead of adding a quarter of a day or six hours every year, you just add one day every four years, and then you're even, supposedly. Who measured a quarter of a day? 
What if a day were like three months long instead of 24 hours long? Who decided that? I always found that funny. So 28 days in February, and then we have an agreement, four weeks of spring training. That means you'd have to start spring training the day you have the agreement. That's not the deadline, folks. Everything that's being reported to you right now is horse hockey. You can't agree and then all of a sudden start spring training the next day. NGTH. The agreements have to be ratified by both sides. There has to be an off-season, even if the off-season is, as the commissioner said, lasts a few days. I guess they can make spring training under four weeks, but if I'm an owner, I'm not voting for that because there's only one thing I hate more than losing, and that's paying players not to play. And if you have a spring training under four weeks, you are going to have even more injuries than in the COVID-shortened spring training part two. Four weeks is the minimum spring training, but I'm fine with it because, of course, players are ramping up right now, according to Boris's members of the executive council, Max Scherzer. So I don't think February 28th is a deadline, but I also don't think March 31st has to be opening day. And I've told you that March 31st may not be opening day, but there will be an opening day. But the players made a very interesting announcement, leaked, of course. They said, we are ready to meet every day next week. Every day, no problem. And I told you that's a good sign because the frequency of the meetings is what I'm focused on more than the length. I mean, which is what you say when you're a nice Jewish boy, right? So if you meet every day, are you editing that out, Coca? <laughs> you don't have to. thought it was decent. I mean, I think that 4% of the audience will get it, maybe 9%. If you meet every day, there's a higher likelihood that you will make progress, however incremental it may be. Get yourself to an agreement. But to get to an agreement on the 28th and to start meeting every day starting on the 21st, could seven days of meetings lead to an agreement given that the players have a 130-page document, an MOU, given to them by the owners, which is the framework for a final CBA? Yes, it's possible. Only if both sides believe that March 31st is a drop-dead date. Because until both sides feel that they are on the precipice of a disastrous outcome, which is not missing games in April, by the way, a disastrous outcome is the cancellation of a World Series. That's the disastrous outcome. So unless both sides feel that there is disaster looming as the calendar's turning to April, then this next week where there are going to be meetings galore will not result in a deal either. But we'll see. Now, there is a player who is very interested, very, very interested in getting a deal done. And his name is Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Aaron Judge is a score and a half years old, playing at 30 this year, actually turns 31 during the playoffs. Well, during the playoffs for some teams. He came out and said that I'd like to be a Yankee for the rest of my career. Who wouldn't? I wouldn't mind signing another couple of years. It's the best organization out of all of them. Why would I want to ever go anywhere else? I'm honored to wear pinstripes. I'd love to work out an extension. But then he said, if it doesn't happen, and this is my last year, I had a lot of great memories. <laughs> Puts a tear in my eye. It's so nice that he had memories. Doesn't have any jewelry, but he's got good memories. 
It's like a lot of relationships. You didn't get any jewelry, but you know what? You got a memory or two. You went out dancing, had a few dinners, maybe took a weekend away. What would it take for the Yankees to sign Aaron Judge? Should Aaron Judge be signed by the Yankees? The Yankees are already paying 30-plus to Giancarlo Stanton. You're welcome. They're paying 30-plus to Mr. I-need-a-better-rosin-bag, Garrett Cole. They've got some holes. What is Aaron Judge worth? Well, if Aaron Judge plays 162 games, stays healthy, he can put up some numbers. There's no doubt about that. He hits for power. His average, the more power he hit, the lower he ravages for the majority of players who don't take steroids, which Aaron Judge doesn't. But let's just say that he believes that he can hit 40, drive in a buck 10, average to above average defense, above average arm. What's the one thing going against Aaron Judge? Injuries. What's the other thing going against Aaron Judge? The number of rings he has in his trunk. It is not realistic that he's going to get a 10-year deal like Robinson Cano had. Those days are over. Cano was 31 when the Seattle Mariners gave him $240 million over 10. Oh, that was back in 2014. Not going to happen. Last year, you had a 31-year-old George Springer. He got 150 over 6. Interesting comp. How about Miguel Cabrera? He was 30 when he signed his eight-year extension for $248 million. Nope, overpay, not going to happen. Ooh, I got a good one for you. Anthony Rendon, that could be a comp. Remember, it's all about comps. It's all comps these days. (laughs) Either that or ball bearings. Anthony Rendon, 29, signed a seven-year deal with the Anaheim Angels of California. $245 million by Artie. I'll sign anybody to help me win. I don't know why we can't win Moreno. So does Judge fit in? Then we go to last offseason, which was like a month ago. Marcus Simeon. Remember him? You may not. He played north of the border. Very, very good player. Finished in the top three in MVP, Coke, I believe. 31 years old. He got seven years, $175 million. Holy shnikes. $25 million a year for seven years for Marcus Simeon? The Texas Rangers gave it to him because they're desperate. New ballpark, need to win some games. Aaron Judge says to himself, I'm worth way more than Marcus Simeon. Oh, because he finishes in the top three in MVP every year. True. Stays on the field, for sure. So the Yankees look at Aaron Judge and they say, you know what? We'll go 150 over five. It's probably about right. It's probably about right. 30 million a year for five years. You're not making 35. You're not making 38. For you to stay healthy for five years through age 35, Maybe a Freddie Freeman type deal. Would you say that Aaron Judge is better than Freddie Freeman? How many people out there, if you had to sign a player today, do you want Freddie Freeman on your team or Aaron Judge? It's not even a question. You want Freddie Freeman on your team. Especially, you already have Stanton. You want Freddie Freeman on your team. Now, is it imposing to have Ralph Sampson on your team along with Akeem Olajuwon, 
It's pretty cool to have the Twin Towers. I just pulled that right out of the air, Coca. Could you please check for me if you can? The Twin Towers in basketball when they were on the same team. Was it Elijah and Sampson for the Houston Rockets? I have some strange recollection. That was Sampson with the P, by the way. He was the seven foot four guy, a little, little smaller than Elijah in terms of size. It was them. And that was really quite a sexy combination. You thought, my God, you have two big men like that. You are going to win. Although you had Duncan and Robinson, they were sort of like the Twin Towers in San Antonio. But in baseball, having Twin Towers, Murderer's Row, as people like to call it, like the old Yankees, the 27 Yankees, Murderer's Row. It's true, but you need some depth in pitching, and you need the players on your Murderer's Row to actually play and not be injured. So it is highly unlikely in my mind that the Yankees value Judge the way Judge values himself, which means that somehow the Yankees are going to have to start leaking out there, which they're going to do, that life will go on without Judge, and the money that would have gone to him is going to get reallocated. Or Aaron Judge is going to have to manage his expectations and realize that even if he gets a touch above Freddie Freeman, which would be the anti-hometown discount, that that's the best he can expect. Now, will Freeman get the sixth year after this lockout ends? Are the Yankees in a position to sign Freeman? And if they do, because Freeman doesn't go back to the Braves, then Aaron Judge knows very well he's not getting a contract because there's no way that the Yankees are going to have Stanton and Freeman and Judge. Now, Coco would like me to point out how much better in his mind Judge is than Simeon because Judge has 158 home runs. Simeon has 137 since 2016, but Simeon has more RBIs. His average was only 257. Judge's was 276. Judge has a way higher OPS. Their war is only one off. So what's your point? Take a position, Matt. Do you think that Judge should get more than Simeon? You're saying they're a comp. We'll take the under. Aaron Judge will not get 7-175. They're not going seven years with Aaron Judge. It's not going to happen. Okay. That's it. We got to talk about a movie when we come back. And the reason I want to talk about this movie, uh, I, 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 I could not believe what I was watching. It's a movie called Misha and the Wolves. Stay for after the break because we're also going to talk about whether or not Matthew Stafford is poorer today than he was yesterday. Everyone's reporting that he is, and I'm here to tell you that may not exactly be the case. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet of commercials. My name is David Sampson. We come to you every single day. You rate, review, follow. You help us improve our ranking which we appreciate, but you gotta hit subscribe on YouTube if you don't mind. Just go to YouTube, search Nothing Personal with David Sampson and hit the subscribe button. Even if the commercials bother you, even if you don't wanna know what blazer I'm wearing, even if you don't care what the background is and what that damn black shoe is doing behind me, it's a shoey. Uh, speaking of shoeys, side note, I'm gonna be away next week and I downloaded the entire three seasons of F1 because everyone has told me to watch it, including my new son-in-law, who at the wedding to my daughter gave me a black shoe and said, drink from it. And I said, is it new? And he said, is your name David? And I said, pony up, baby. That's the shoe. I don't know why that was in my head. Oh, because if you go on YouTube and hit subscribe, you get to see the shoe. But you got to hit subscribe. I don't know why, but just please do it. Okay, I watch a movie every day. And I, I didn't, Netflix just asked me to fill out something about preferences so they can manage my downloads and download things for me automatically. Hard pass. I don't do the thumbs up, thumbs down. You like this, so you may like that. What do you do when you're eclectic? What I do is I just go through what's trending. I go through different genres. I don't want to set up any of that. But I did come across a movie, and I'd never heard of it before, called Misha and the Wolves. It's a documentary about a woman, and this is the absolute craziest part. This woman said that she was born and lived overseas, and she had to escape the Nazis because she was Jewish and her parents disappeared, were taken to concentration camps. And at seven years old, she decided to start walking east in order to go to safety. Somehow she knew which way east was. I guess maybe that's because that's where the sunrise is. So she kept walking east over the course of days and in and out of weeks and over a month into multiple months. And during the course of this trek to freedom, she came across a wolf. And apparently the wolf followed her along the trek. She became friends with the wolf, sort of like a wolf whisperer. And then there were a pack of wolves and she would sleep as a seven-year-old, cuddled up with the wolf. And she told this story and it became a national and international phenomenon. Because when you're a Holocaust survivor, people want to hear your story. When you have an extraordinary story of survival, that's a feel-good story. People want to hear it. When it involves wild animals and young people living in the wild to escape the Nazis and torture and death, people want to hear it. 
So a publisher agreed for her to write a book. She then went on the circuit. She was going to be on Oprah as part of Book of the Month Club. Didn't end up on Oprah. But then there was a question. Is this a true story? I mean, how did this seven-year-old live with wolves? And when she was older, she was repeating the story on all sorts of talk shows. She went to a wolf sanctuary for crying out loud. She lives somewhere in upstate New York now or something. And she went to a wolf sanctuary and had this amazing relationship with these wolves, who obviously were not the same wolves from Europe from 80 years ago or 70 years ago. But there was something about her ability to be with wolves that was uncanny. As a matter of fact, at one point, a wolf put its mouth over her neck as though it was going to bite it off. And it was like a jovial, I love you, man, type of thing. And that convinced everybody that this was true. But there was one Holocaust survivor who found it to be a little bit crazy. The story wasn't really checking out. And this documentary is about how she was found out to be a complete fraud. And you're going to say, how could you spoil the documentary? Why would I watch it now? And the reason I want you to watch it and the reason why I suggest it is that when you are hearing stories and tall tales and you are trying to discern whether someone is telling you the truth or not, have you ever thought about the bias that you bring to the game, the bias you bring to the story, the bias you bring to the conversation? Everybody wants to believe in the underdog. Everyone wants to believe that something incredible has happened, something that is not even fathomable. Everybody wants to believe that even if it sounds too good to be true, it's not. And in business and in life, I've got a small piece of wisdom for you. If anything sounds or looks too good to be true, it is. And the problem with making up a story as it relates to the Holocaust is you've not just insulted those who did survive, you've also insulted those who died at the hands of Hitler and his group of felonious henchmen. I was so angry at the end of this documentary that I decided to match that anger with sadness, pathos, and then I had this wash of empathy flow over me. And I realized how sad it is that someone would go to this length to do this. And I thought about what people do to pretend that there's something they're not in the world that we are in today. It got me to thinking about social media, got me to think about the power of social media, got me to think about the lengths people will go to for you to think their life is so good. It got me thinking about Photoshopping, wondering how it is that I can see so many people online who don't have one wrinkle, who all look so amazing, then you see them in real life and you're like, ugh, work in a Botox, would you? Yeah, you don't have to. You're beautiful just the way you are. Misha and the Wolves. It's a documentary. Check it out and then have some introspection. Have some thought about what you do to make people believe you're something you're not. What you pretend to emote in order to have people have a certain view about the way you are or the way you think. So we talked about the power of social media. 
Boy, did that manifest itself yesterday. So the Los Angeles Rams had a parade. And I can't tell if a million people were there or 100,000 people were there. Sort of like an inauguration, right? It's hard to tell. How was that tweet? I know Coco didn't like it. He doesn't like when I get political. And I wasn't saying I'm pro or anti anybody. I was saying there is a disagreement as to how many people were at Trump's inauguration. There's pictures. But as you know, pictures can be photoshopped. You can add people. Have you ever seen Gladiator, Coca? Can you imagine someone who would see the movie Gladiator, who would put a tattoo of Russell Crowe on their body and believe that the movie that was filmed in the Coliseum, not, actually had all those extras at every level of the Coliseum, not, added after the fact. So the Rams are having their parade. We discover that Sean McVay is not retiring. Aaron Donald is not retiring. He just wants to get paid more money. That's why he said he was going to retire. So it's a pretty normal parade. Aaron McVay says, let's run it. Sean McVay, sorry, says, let's run it back. His fiance goes on to Twitter and TikTok and says, my man is not retiring. Whatever. By the way, Yoko Ono turned 89. Sorry. That was just a detour side note. That really is hard to fathom. So the parade's going on. Then, of course, you go to the microphone. I remember our parade when we won the World Series in 03. I remember so clearly, which is amazing because my memory is mediocre with occasional doses of totally in absentia, just gone. Um, well, I don't, I don't even know what we were talking about, but whatever we were talking about. Oh, when I went to the microphone to address people at our parade, we had, when the Marlins won in 03, it was a record number of people down in Miami. There were 17.4 million people who came to that parade on Cayocho and then came to the ceremony where you go on stage. And I held my daughter on my lap and then took the microphone wearing my Sparky 91 jersey that's behind me. If you go on YouTube and hit subscribe. And I remember wearing a hat and just saying, hey, it's great. Thanks, fans. We'll do it again. Whatever. So the Rams go through their speeches. Matthew Stafford, the quarterback, is on the stage. And the next thing you know, there's a bit of bedlam because a woman photographer, not relevant that she's a woman, a photographer falls off the stage in a horribly scary incident. And there's a video of Matthew Stafford looking. She falls, and then he turns around and walks the other way. Meanwhile, his wife sees that the photographer falls. Her eyes open. And she, like, tries to lunge to be helpful. So on social media, this video became viral. And Matthew Stafford got raked across the coals. What a cold-hearted son of a female shit. How could he not try to help? What a selfish guy. And then there's a share. And then a forward, and then a quote tweet, then a retweet, then a share video, then a talk of a tick that goes for 60 seconds. And it becomes a major PR problem. On top of that, the woman who fell broke her cameras and then tweets, not only are my cameras broken, but I'm here in the hospital. I fractured my spine. Now, when you hear fractured spine, sometimes you may think, God, is that an L4, L5? Is that a T3, T2, T1, T4? Is there, paraliz- is there paralysis? Like, what are we talking about here? This is a nightmare. This is a tragedy. How could Matthew Stafford have been so callous? 
It's a very good question. Do you think that video shows exactly what happened in the way in which it happened? Just asking. Do you know for sure that Matthew Stafford looked at her fall and said, ah, I don't care about that and walked away? What kind of instinct is that? When you see something that happens, you tend to take a step forward, don't you? Even if you're not going to help, like your body just instinctively takes a step forward, reaches out. Ooh, can't save that person. But then you sort of look over to say, ooh, how far did she fall? Is she alive? If Matthew Stafford had turned around, I'm going to argue that no matter what it says on video or what you see on video, there's a 50% chance he didn't even see it. And if he did see it, didn't even register. But that doesn't matter. What matters is social media took this issue and ran with it. And wouldn't you know it, in under a day, a statement was released by the Los Angeles Rams and the Stafford family jointly. We would like to announce, because a GoFundMe page, by the way, had been started for this woman, that raised like 42 grand. We would like to announce that we will be paying for her medical bills and brand new camera equipment. So please congratulate us, pat us on the back, because we are paying for this, even though we had nothing to do with it. There's no liability. The stage was perfectly fine. She wasn't paying attention. She fell off. They didn't say that in the statement. So everyone now is saying, way to go, Matthew. Way to go, Rams. Well, let me tell you what actually happens in this situation. The PR people call the president of the Rams and the owner and say, hey, this whole parade story and the whole photographer falling off the stage story, this is out of control. Our Super Bowl winning quarterback is getting roasted. Matthew Stafford calls up his agent and says, what are we doing here? Like, I'm getting killed. What should I do? The agent says, I got an idea. Let me make a call. Calls the president of the Rams and says, hey, what are we doing about this? And the president of the Rams says, well, what do you mean? What are we doing? What should we do? The owner of the Rams says, I got an idea of what we should do. Let's just pay it. We are going to get such great PR for this that we are going to pay whatever it is, 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand. We'll buy our two new cameras. We'll upgrade our cameras from whatever they were to whatever they are. We'll do it. Matthew Stafford said, thank you so much. The Rams president said, are you going to help pay? And they said, nope. So listen, I'm really happy that Matthew Stafford agreed to be a part of that joint statement. But the way it works in front offices, nope. The Rams are paying for it in full. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. Did you see how we lost our pick of the day? A three in double overtime that doesn't even hit rim goes off the backboard right into the hands of P.J. Grover Washington, who lays it in at the buzzer, and the Hornets lose by four instead of six, which means we didn't cover, which means we're 23 and 18. It's not ideal. Well... I have no pick today. We're going into the All-Star break. We will also going into a week of no picks. So that's it, 23 and 18. I'm so angry about that loss. All right, I want to end the week by following up on something that took place yesterday that you may have read about. I tweeted about it a bit, but I want to give you some detail. The trial that's been going on, the Tyler Skaggs trial, a couple of days ago we did an opening segment 
that lasted quite a while to talk about opioids and the opioid crisis. So many of you keep responding, keep listening to that episode. Please, it is an unbelievably serious problem that requires serious solutions. It requires treatment, it requires attention, it requires education, it requires accountability. And when someone dies of an overdose, all the family wants is someone to be blamed. They don't wanna blame the person who is struggling with addiction, their loved one. They wanna be able to say that someone else had something to do with it. And the criminal justice system would like to assign blame as well. And the reason the criminal justice system wants to assign blame is because their view, the reason is that, their view is it could act as a deterrent. If someone gives someone a oxycodone and that person overdoses and dies, and then that person who gave the oxycodone is found guilty of causing the death of that person, and that person then goes to prison, there's a chance that you're gonna think twice before sharing your non-prescription prescription opioids. So the prosecution in the Eric K case went through their case. The defense rested. They did closing arguments that lasted 45 minutes each. The judge gave the jury instructions. Eric K leaves the courtroom his lawyers say to him, here's how jury deliberations work. The longer the deliberation, the more likelihood there is of a hung jury or a not guilty verdict. If we hear back that they deliberated for 45 minutes or an hour, that's gonna be a problem. But in this case, I don't think it's gonna happen because a split verdict here is likely because you're charged with two counts, one causing the death of Tyler Skaggs and then possession of narcotics with intent to distribute. So there could be a split verdict, but that takes time. You have to have unanimity. You could have 12 angry men in the room, so there could be some time. So the jury goes out, and wouldn't you know it, in two hours, the call comes. I cannot imagine what it was like for Eric Kay to hear from his lawyer that the jury had returned a verdict after only two hours of deliberation. If his lawyer is worth his weight in pepper, then Eric Kay knew before walking back into that courtroom to hear the jury's verdict, what the verdict would be. So that walk to the courtroom, you sit down, the judge comes in, you stand up, then the jury comes in, you stand up, then you sit down. The judge asks the jury whether a verdict has been reached. The four person says yes. And then the verdict is read. Eric Kay was found guilty of both counts yesterday. Once a guilty verdict is read, there is then the question of sentencing. Eric Kay is going to be sentenced on June 28th. Between now and June 28th, he could have been sent home. Instead, he was remanded immediately to jail where he will spend every day in jail until June 28th when his sentencing comes. And there are reports that the judge who does the sentencing has no discretion at all. That the judge has to sentence Eric Kay to a minimum of 20 years in prison and a maximum of life. Between now and June, there will be letters sent to the judge on behalf of family members of Eric Kay. There will be counselors who will talk about Eric Kay's own struggles with addiction. There will be letters about what he's like as a father, 
a husband, a friend, an employee. His lawyers will reach out to people who he knows who can write those types of letters to the judge. The judge will then get letters from the family of Tyler Skaggs about what it's like to not have a son or a husband, about how necessary it is to punish Eric Kay, to show the world what it means if you are going to distribute opioids to someone, that if that person dies, then you are going to pay a very heavy price. The judge will take all of this into account and then render his sentence on June 28th. What moral do we get from this unbelievably tragic situation? Is there a lesson to be learned? What do we do with this information? What we do as people, right? You look out on a situation, it doesn't matter whether you're visually impaired or not, you, you engage in a situation, so I didn't mean to be literal there, and then your brain calculates all the different things about that situation and then how to react to a similar situation in the future. You talk about cost benefit, you talk about risk reward. Did that hurt? Did that give me pleasure? How hard was it to attain versus the level of pleasure that I received? It's all about the line that we give you, which is the juice being worth the squeeze. The best hope, the best hope that we have coming out of this trial is that one, and I don't mean 10, and I don't mean a thousand. Let's start with one. That one person struggling with addiction seeks help before it's too late. That one person who gives drugs to someone who's in a position of power because they feel it's their job, or they give it to their friend because they think it's fun and cool to do those drugs. That one person looks at the Eric Kay situation and says, not me, not today. I'm not going to subject myself to the loss of freedom. I will not add to the terror that is so pervasive in the United States with opioid prescription drug abuse. One person is all I'm asking. Out of all the people listening to this show, if one person who's had a struggle with addiction can find a way through and keep going, if one person who's engaged in the act of sharing drugs can choose not to, then this show will have been worth it. It's not bringing back Tyler Skaggs. It's not giving Eric Kay his freedom. But maybe it will make a difference to somebody else. Okay. Before we end the show, wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. We'll revisit it if it does. We'll revisit it if it doesn't. I got to wait to see about the lockout. So this is the last show of this type. Next week, we have five shows. We're going to have three sit-downs, two mailbags. Two sit-downs, maybe three sit-downs, two mailbags. So there will be a show every day. They'll all be on YouTube. They'll all be available wherever you get your podcasts. So you're going to hear my dulcet tones even when I'm in the Andes Mountains running races every day. But I got to wait to see. With all of the meetings that are going on with baseball, of course, the five days that I'm gone, the lockout is going to end with me away.
And when the lockout ends, I'm going to have to take my phone in the middle of a race in the Andes, and I'm going to have to do some sort of emergency segment. I don't even know how it'll work. I don't know if Coca can record it, if I'll do it and then post it on Twitter, or we'll put it in the feed. But I will have to give my reaction while I'm standing on the top of a mountain holding some sort of gizmo to try to get service. Is that going to work? Wait to see. Lockout ends next week with me away. I think that one probably won't come true. But either way, we'll revisit it on Monday, February 28th, assuming the red-eye gets in on time. I'm coming right from the red-eye coca, right to record a show for all of you. Have a great, safe weekend. Make good decisions. Have some fun. Have some pleasure. Remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal.